Okay, this is the Ezra podcast. I had it took me a little while on the video end to sync up the audio. It's all right. It's like ten seconds. Don't don't bail on me on this. And the thing is, with the thing like that on YouTube, right? With the thing like that where it takes you that ten seconds, is I'm just gaining subscribers on YouTube. It's a, it's, a, it's a slow, steady stream. But when new, someone new comes and then they see me do that, they see me stumble out the gate. You know, like they said, first impressions are everything. To a fool, they are, but there's a lot of fools out there, right? That base everything on a first impression. Let me tell you something, I make a lot of terrible first impressions. I'm not a first impression type guy. I'm like a fifth impression, I'm, I'm amazing. Sixth impression, seventh impression, you love me. A first impression, first two, three, you know, first three impressions, they're not great. Ask anyone that knows me, anyone that loves me, what they thought of me on the first impression. But let's get to it. Um, Excellent, excellent, excellent boxing weekend. Great cards. Um, I, I mean, maybe not one great card. Uh, another uh, card, which was, eh, you know, not, not great. But the main event delivered, I thought, in my mind. But let's get to that. You know, let's get to uh, let's get to the, the, the great card. And let's start with the main event. That was Mark Maxile versus uh, Ray Vargas. Uh, Ray Vargas, which is the second fight at 126 pounds. Well, previously a champ at 122. Um, in a fight that I, I I had picked Vargas to win, I thought he would just uh move and outbox Maxile and make Maxile miss the whole night. But he came out very aggressive to start off. I didn't I didn't expect that, and I thought that if you're gonna give Maxile the best chance to win, it'd be Vargas like kind of staying in there and allowing Maxile to just be set the whole time and just be able to react um off his bounce. Vargas definitely got the better of that when they when they went. Uh, head to head, I do think that Maxile was doing some good work too. I thought it was a very fun fight early. A lot of big shots being landed from both guys. I just thought that that was going to continue. Maxile would eventually win that game. But what Vargas does is around the third, fourth round, he starts going back to his original uh, game plan for all his previous fights. It's more of a movement based uh, game where he's moving you and then walking you into shots where he sits on. Um, and he outworks you, he outmoves you, he never set, and he really frustrates Maxile at this point. And to me, I think he's kind of, it's becoming kind of a schooling, right? It's coming a little more one-sided. It kind of reminded me of those middle rounds between Gary Russell and Maxile, where like Gary Russell kind of schools Maxile. Maxile's always going to have those points. There's someone that can box and someone that is, um, you know, crafty and makes him reset his feet. He's always going to have those points where he, you know, he's not a high volume guy and And he has to reset his feet. He has to get set every time. He got to set. He has twitches. He has, you know, he has to get back to bouncing. If he misses, then he's okay. Reset, gloves, get back to bouncing. And every time he does it, you know, he gets it. The guy's out of a way out of position, so he's got to go back and find that position, right? And it helps that he's fast. It helps that he does have fast twitch muscles. But consistently, right? To be consistently a great fighter, I just think that you there's no way to keep the consistency. You're gonna have at the highest level. You're gonna be like a win some lose some type guy because he has the power to save him. He almost the power almost saves him in this fight, right? Ray Vargas is 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 uh, cruising to an easy victory, right? Wide to me on the scorecards, and then Maxwell lands a straight right off of which I called Ray Vargas uppercuts to the body or even just uppercuts at a distance that Vargas throws a lot. And it's it's a common part of his game. It's a it, it's a mistake, right? But it's also something that he relies on his offense. 
And I knew that that was going to be there, but I thought myself was going to make him pay with the left hook. He made him pay with the with the straight right. And he hurts Vargas. And I, the whole time I'm thinking, like, you know, Vargas is going to win this fight. He's he's cruising along. But the opportunities are still there for Max Out. And Max Out really needs his power to save the day, his athleticism and explosion to save the day. And it almost does. It hits him with the right hand. Vargas is hurt. The next round, Maxell, I thought, wins the next round. But Vargas is clearly hurt, and Maxell has no urgency. He's not, like, thinking, like, oh, I need to get him out of here this round. And Vargas is doing his best job to act like he's not hurt, but he's clearly hurt. He's clearly moving. He's clearly trying not to engage. And Maxell is able to win the round that way, but just a really miss, a giant miss opportunity. Now, uh, Vargas comes back, and I believe uh, he wins the last two rounds, 11th and the 12th. For me, and to me, it was a clear victory for Vargas. It maybe got a little bit tighter on the scorecards, but it was a clear victory. I didn't see any way you could have for Max out. Even if there was, to me, uh, two swing rounds in the fight, maybe it could have been even going into the 12th, right? But then in the 12th, it was clearly a Vargas round. So I just, I didn't see uh, a possibility where it could be scored for Vargas. I just didn't see that. On the two swing rounds, I already had them for uh, Max Isle. So there was no, you know what I mean? It, to me, though, the score could only get wider for Vargas. It couldn't get any uh, closer or, you know, even be considered a draw or anything like that. And Vargas looked uh, very good in this fight. Still looked shaky at that point, right? Like the flaw that, uh, we, that to me, I knew was there. I, maybe other people knew it was there. It, it's, it's, it reared his ugly head again. So it's funny because it's a, it's a victory where he looks dominant. You know, the majority of the fight, but. The last one's kind of like what you can remember. It's going to kind of make you remember this fight as like an extremely competitive fight that he, you know, barely guts out. And really, the majority of the fight wasn't like that. But that's just what happens. Like in one moment, turns the whole way people feel about the fight. And the further we get, the, the further people really, truly remember how this fight actually was. It's funny how that happens, but pay attention to it. When we hear Ray Vargas fight again, you're going to hear like, oh, man, we had a tough fight, Max Sile. Um... You might even hear like calls for a rematch. Honestly, as time goes by, this fight's gonna seem a lot closer than it actually truly was. This wasn't as one-sided, but it's kind of similar to what happened in the uh, Sergio Martinez Chavez fight because Sergio Martinez is schooling Chavez that whole fight. Like it's not even close. And then Chavez gets going in the twelfth round and it hurts Sergio Martinez. So Sergio Martinez clearly has to survive in the last round, and it just changes the whole complexion and how you feel leaving that fight. To me, I thought that we were about to leave just feeling like, hey, Ray Vargas might be the best guy at 126 now that uh, Russell's gone, right? If Russell doesn't come back, then he might be the best guy. But I felt like we left thinking it's still a lot tighter and still there's still some unknowns, right? And maybe a guy like Brandon Figueroa who fought in the fight, uh, the co-main event, could be possibly the guy. I, I didn't think, it, I thought in the middle of the fight, you kind of felt... Vargas disappeared. He's he hasn't lost, you know. He's uh been a high level. He's been this same guy for a long time, and maybe hasn't got his credit, or maybe that's because the way he fights, or all these things. And it was heading to this point where we were gonna be like, "Hey, this guy is the guy." But the shaky ending, it kind of leads a little more doubt onto what uh you know where they're gonna go from there. It sounds like they're gonna try to set up a Leo Santa Cruz fight. Now, you know me how much I hate the belts, and you know the belts already called for Vargas. Uh, the winner of the, I'm sorry, for Leo Santa Cruz to fight uh, Laywood, and they were kind of waiting to see if they could work that out. Then it kind of seemed like Leo was going to drop the belts. Now they're talking about a unification between Vargas and Leo Santa Cruz, which would be easy to make because they're both in PBC, 
But then what happens to Lay Wood, who, you know, was already ordered to have that fight? It gets really complicated. I, I, I hate the sanctioning bodies. I hate the belts. I hate this whole system. Um, you're really not going to get a bad fight. I think Lay Wood versus Santa Cruz is a very interesting fight. I think Vargas versus Santa Cruz is a really good fight, really great matchup. It's something that I really would like to see, whether it has belt uh, unification on it or just, you know, hell, they just fight for Vargas' belt. Either way, I want to see that fight. But like I said, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to leave. At 126, I always say this, like, if you really want to get into boxing and you don't want to be disappointed, you don't want to get, like, really the politics of it as far as matchups not being made, get in a weight division where, like, no one's demanding a lot of money, right? Where, like, everything is just kind of seems pretty reasonable and you will fall in love with the sport because all the matchups that you like at that weight class are possible. 126 is really that. I don't know if there's great talent at 126, maybe possibly Vargas, but there's just good talent and it's a lot of depth. And these matchups can also uh, can actually be made. Like the money isn't insane for anyone really to where like, oh, that that's impossible. That fight's never gonna happen. It's gonna take years to grow. They don't need to do any of that. Like they don't they get past all those games. They just make the fights. Maxell versus Vargas was just made like nothing. And that's a, that's a, these are two top guys in the weight class. And Brandon Figueroa coming like. There's just a uh, a lot of uh, good opportunity, a lot of good matchups that could possibly made going forward. But just, it's just a fun weight class, and if you chose a weight class like this to be your favorite in boxing, you would not be disappointed. Let's go to the Coleman event, same weight, cla- weight class. We have Brandon Figueroa versus Carlos Castro in a fight that I really thought was like a pickup. I thought that people were kind of overlooking Castro. I thought that everybody just kind of figured that this was just Figueroa's introduction to 126 and. He would run through a guy like Castro, especially because Castro was coming off a loss against Neary. But as I saw it, and the things that Figueroa was good at, is he was very physical, very strong. Uh, pressure doesn't need like a lot on his shots to get his power, so he can just hit you with you know two hammers, and it just he just touches you. But continuous work, it just it it breaks the fighters down, right? But, you know, going up to 126, usually with a guy like this, he's going to be best when he just starts his career at the lowest weight he could possibly get to. And as he moves up, he's going to lose those physical advantages, and he's going to struggle more. And this is what happened to Brandon Figueroa's brother, Omar Figueroa, who Omar Figueroa looked pretty damn good when he was in the lower weight classes. And as it went up, he just started looking really sloppy, right? All the mistakes that he made or the unorthodox way he fought, it just really was highlighted at that point when he fought against guys that were physically as strong with him, if not stronger. So I was curious to see what Brandon Figueroa would look like in this fight. Um, he starts off pretty damn good. Uh, Carlos Castro, who I thought could box, but just wasn't consistent at fighting at range. It kind of allowed guys to get inside on him and didn't make them earn it at times. I had That's the reason why I had picked Figueroa in this fight, because I thought Castro could show his talent, show you know some uh, things to his game that... that um, that was could show what he was capable of winning this fight, but he just wouldn't be consistent enough with it. And that's kind of how this fight starts, right? Figaro first the first round comes out kind of like if he's gonna box at distance, but maybe he's just trying to figure out the range and his entry entry points. And Castro is able to move around. I thought win the, the round. Then the second round comes and he's doing pretty good, and then he just kind of gives up positioning and gets dropped. Uh, with Figaro just uh lands like a um he he lands an overhand right to his forehead. And then it goes to his body, and Castro just kind of crumbles from there. Then the corner town, like, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Like, why would you get planted? Why would you just stay there? And that's just kind of what I've always seen from Castro. It's just not consistent. It's just those kind of mistakes and letting those things at this level, like, you just really can't do that. So then Castro 
finds his legs though. In the next round, he comes back. I thought he wins it, and he starts finding his legs. And he starts finding that he could turn Figueroa. And once he starts turning Figueroa, and Figueroa's not allowed to set his feet and can't get forward momentum, it, it really starts turning into a Castro fight. And he's able to box and he's able to really kind of have his way, even on not just like moving from wide angles, right. And getting really out of distance, like even on the inside, they get inside and they're like forward to forehead. He's just moving them side to side. And Figueroa is frustrated with it. Right. And then Castro starts seeing in a few more rounds that he could start pushing Figueroa back and he starts physically pushing him back. And you could see that Figueroa had never been pushed back kind of like this to me in a fight at 122, especially He's not, he got pushed by, he gets pushed at one point, he gets pushed by one hand, but Castro pushes him back and then Castro gets to work on him. And you can see like, okay, this is something different. And this is completely um, against what Figueroa's game really is. And you start seeing Figueroa kind of struggling and you kind of see that the, the opening here where Castro could kind of run away with this. Castro sees it too. And he kind of sees that like, Hey, I could push him back. I think Castro over judges how physically uh, overpowering Figueroa he is I think that maybe eventually if he would have won a few rounds it would have been a really effective and he could have pushed him back and maybe uh, been more dominant but he kind of just needed to work his way to it and as soon as he found it a little bit he all 100% blitzed it and used it and got greedy and pushed Figueroa to the ropes and allowed Figueroa to get in the position where he could go to work and Figueroa works off the ropes uh and kind of you know like a veteran move too like okay if you're gonna push against the ropes I, i'm it's in the range i want i don't care i don't need my i don't need you against ropes i could work against the ropes it's just the range i want and he lands a body shot to castro and it seems like it turns castro's body off figaro then turns him and i'm talking about with a clinch behind castro's neck he clinches behind his neck turns him into the ropes and then goes to work and castro just can't respond it just seems like his body turned off for a few seconds and also, I believe he gets hit in the throat as well. He's just, he's not able to respond. It seems like a quick stoppage, but then if you show the replay, like, you could see his eyes just like, he's just not there. He never argues about stoppage or anything. And he just gets turned off. And it's just that one mistake. And it's just what I pointed out by Castro, that it's just not consistent. He just gives up positions that he does not need to do. And Figueroa comes away with the dominant victory. Now, I did, you got to really pay attention to the context of these kind of fights. And I did see things where Figueroa was, you know, not the physically the strongest guy in there i did see things where castro moving around really gave him problems turning him not allowing him to get forward momentum and it gets a guy like vargas i think that fight's really interesting especially with vargas's movement i, I think figaro might really, really really struggle in that fight i don't think that i would favor him in that fight and i think that's a really tough matchup for him and i will if i'm managing figaro it's not a matchup that i'm excited to like get right to right now i think there's a lot of other guys at 126 they'd be um okay for him to fight and just kind of bring him along. He's still young. He's still very young. So bring him along a little bit more than like, oh, let's go get Vargas. I just think that's a tough matchup. I think he want maybe just get a little more use to his weight and maybe let his body get a little more of those physical advantages that he had at 122. Castro, I, I still like him. I just think that, you know, this is going to be his career. He's never going to be the consistent. I think he should stay with his trainer. He had a new trainer. It was Delaware's old trainer. And um, I can't think of his name right now. I think it's a... Alcazar or he's a, he's an excellent trainer. He's actually an underrated trainer. He's actually very good. If you see what he did with De La Hoya and how he was able to keep De La Hoya to fight at range and the way he positioned his hands and he even had Jesse Vargas for a little bit and had maybe Jesse Vargas when he was at his to me possibly his best but I think Castro there, there is things that, that they're working on with him that I think that will really benefit his game but in this he just has mental lapses and he gives up 
position and just got greedy, honestly, if we're just be honest with it. He got greedy in this fight, and that cost him. And Figueroa moves on. I think Castro's still interesting at this weight. It's only a second loss, and he's lost to a decision to Neri and, uh, you know, a KO stoppage to, or TKO stoppage to Figueroa. But those are two very good names to lose to. I still think I want to see a lot more of him. The same with the Mark Masato, too. It's like Mark Masato lost, and I, I did think at some points it was one-sided, but he's still a very entertaining fighter. And just because he's always in the fight, like he's always consistently in the fight because he has power, speed, and explosion, I want to see more of him. In the uh, opener, we had uh, Frank Martin versus uh, Jackson Marinez. Marinez was a late replacement, but he looked like he came in very good shape. So I'm, exp- uh, And I think from the telecast, they said that he was preparing for a fight. He looked very good. Now, uh, they're bringing Frank Martin along. It seems like, you know, he's making the leap from content- a prospect to contender. And this was, you know, for especially like his original opponent, it just kind of seemed like this was going to be like a, a truly like a, a coming out party. He was going to look dominant, apply his game, and just get him to that next level. I guess Marinez, you know, late replacement, wasn't really trained for it, but Marinez is has natural ability, even though he just got, uh, he just lost to Comey. If you watch that fight and you watch the earlier rounds, it's, it's a competitive fight. And if you watch the fight, of course, against Rolly Romero, which he, to me, I thought he clearly won and gets robbed. Um, he just has, he has, he has natural ability, natural talent, natural rhythm to him when he fights. And Frank Martin, um, I thought that, you know, like I said, he, he, he came out good. He started off strong. When he figured out the body work or the straights to the the straight uh, left to the body was really effective, and Marinas wasn't looking to move right, wasn't looking to. They were just standing right in front of each other, and Martin was just beating into the punch and was just beating into the position. It got a little bit predictable. He kind of overused it. He kind of, um, you know, like when they say in uh, someone's playing video games, like he spammed it. That that's what he did. He just spammed it, and Marinas started catching it. Marinas is a smart fighter, he's, and like I said, he he's talented enough to like kind of match you to, uh, talent for talent. And he starts with the lead right. So not allowing um, Frank Martin to come at from a distance for that body shot because the lead right was would, was beating him to it. He would be moving straight into the lead right. So he starts catching with the lead right. And Martin's kind of a little bit confused. Now, remember, Martin started boxing at 18 years old. And a lot of times what happens when someone starts late is they don't have the creativity to their game. There's certain things of the craft that they're, they just haven't, you know, those little things that allowed them to, to do things that, you know, allow them to create openings for shots. Sometimes the guys don't have that. It's a little more robotic, a little more of the basics of what they what they learned. And it's just because they didn't grow up doing it as a kid. You know what I mean? It's like the guy that has a soccer ball since he was a kid, and he's just able to bounce it and do things with it on it, on his feet that just a guy that started at 18 just will not be able to do. It's just not, it doesn't have enough time with the, with the ball or with the gloves to do those things. So I do think Frank Martin has some of those issues. Now, what Frank Martin does have, though, is he's a competitor. And he does have another gear that he can get to. He's he's not going to just accept where he's at. And he didn't in this fight. It, when it got a little bit difficult, right, he had early success. And when Marinas matched it and started having his own success, Martin didn't shell up or stay at the level of Marinas and still compete. No, he won another gear. And Marinas was, this is, the the to me, the thing of Marinas' career. He doesn't have that next gear. This is why where he's at. He didn't have another year to, to match Martin. So when Martin got to that next gear, he was able to really have his way in the fight. And he was able to beat Marinas to the spot. He was able to rough up Marinas. He then land bigger Marinas. Now, he couldn't keep it consistently. So at points, he would dip back down. And when there was more even, right, when they were both even on the gear, what gear level they were at, Marinas was able to pick his shots and land very good because 
to me, he, he was just, he's, like I say, he's been doing it long, longer, had more experience. He's just looser with his stuff, looser with his work, more confident in his work. And then uh, Martin would, revved up that gear again, and Marinas couldn't match it this time, and that led to Marinas getting out, uh, Martin being able to get Marinas out of there. Now, there's comparisons to the Comey fight, right, because Comey got Marinas out uh, earlier, but Styles make fights. You know, it, it's, I, I would say Pacquiao got Haddon out faster than Floyd did. Floyd beats Pacquiao. It's those triangle theories, all that stuff. It's, it's a little bit hard. You can't go off of them. I don't. To me, it didn't. I didn't diminish the way I think of Martin. I mean, before the fight, go, going into the fight, I thought you know this guy's been doing this since he's eighteen. He's never gonna have that creative ability. You know, it's not. It's uh, it's really hard to develop. Like if you look at guys that did develop it, you look at like Sergio Martinez developed at LA age, right? But he just kind of developed his own style. I don't think Frank Martin's developing his own style. He's kind of just learning the fundamentals of boxing and just trying to become very good at the fundamentals of boxing. Is he great at, every, at any one thing? Maybe his competitiveness. Maybe the fact that he can race it up to another level when he needs to. I don't think, like, as far as uh, speed, power, everything, he's just a well-rounded fighter. I, I like Frank Martin. I thought this was a good fight for him. And he got, did what he needed to do. He, needed, he did it convincingly. He won this fight convincingly. Did he struggle? Sure. Did he run into things? Sure. But he's a better fighter today than he was yesterday because of this fight. And that's how you bring along a fighter. Another fight that happened early in the morning, uh, English card, is uh, Derek Chisora versus uh, Pulev. Uh, Kubat Pulev. And um, it was a fight that I thought, you know, Chisora, when he fought Joseph Parker, I just really thought that he didn't have the gas tank anymore. I thought that he really had big dips in a energy in, in that fight. And I just thought that Joseph Parker was just able to kind of tell work him. And that's why, especially in the second, in the second time they fought to me, it was clear. I was like, okay, Trezor just doesn't have it anymore. He's just not going to be able to fight consistently like this. And he's always just going to run to this wall. Now, Pulev doesn't have a lot of stoppages. Um, a lot of his wins are just unanimous decisions and stuff like that. So I picked him for a stoppage in this fight, but it wasn't because I thought, oh, his power or anything like that. I just thought Chisora was just going to hit a wall. And Pulev, I still thought, had a lot left in the tank. Not was he going to ever be a high-level um, you know, heavyweight again. Is he ever going to be a top three guy or a threat to top three guy? No, but he'd be a threat to that middle of the pack, of course. So I thought just more in the tank for Pulev than Chisora had in this, in this rematch. But I was wrong. Chisora pulls out a gas tank that I didn't see in the Joseph Parker fight. And his constant pressure and his constant unorthodox uh, punches with movement. And Pulev's doing good stuff, but it's just like, you know, he, he's doing good stuff, but it's taking a lot of energy to, to kind of keep the space he needs. And the work is kind of getting ugly. And when it works getting uglier, Chisora's having the better moments of it. And you can see the cut over Pulev's eye. It's just all these things are just like, really turning into a Trezora fight. And you think in the mid rounds, you're like, okay, he's going to hit a tank. And he just doesn't, he doesn't hit the wall. He just doesn't, the gas tank doesn't empty and he just keeps coming and he keeps his constant pressure and he pulls out a split decision and in a fight that I thought could have went really either way, but I'm okay with Trezora winning it. Um, I just didn't think Chisora had that performance in him. It was a it was a damn good fight. I it, I thought it was very entertaining. Uh, people want to be negative about these these cards. I think especially like these English cards, these matchroom cards. I I notice it. I see it. But everyone, the, you know, there's a lot of people that just choose a promotion and they just root for them. And there's a promotion they choose to root against because people root against PBC cards too. And that, I just don't really understand it. But I j put on fights. I'm gonna enjoy them. Uh, I I wanted you know the best presentation, of course, and all that. And I did thought the presentation was pretty good for Chisora Pulev. Entertaining fight. 
Um, I thought it was a much tougher opponent than Chisora was going to take because Pulev. And look, he pulls it out. And now he wants another fight. He wants Deontay Wilder. I don't think that's really possible. I don't think that's going to happen. But he, he's still looking for big money paid, uh, big money fights. And I think the him and Kanaki is an entertaining fight. Even though Kanaki has a fight coming up that's not for sure that he could win. But I just think that if we're just, we're just basically watching Chisora for entertainment at this point. Even if Kanaki loses, I mean, I still think that's a hell of a fight. It's a very entertaining fight. Um, who, who else did they bring up for him? Um, you know, there's the, the heavyweight division is kind of there's some talent coming up. There's some older talent. It's 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 all over the place. It can, there's plenty of options for Chisora, but he's just an entertaining guy. You need guys like that. I mean, we can't get rid of you know back at HBO Showtime days. You know, they kind of got rid of guys. You know, they lost and they're not not contenders for like pound for pound or a champion anymore. Hell, Chisora's entertaining. Uh, Deontay Wilder is entertaining. Even after Joshua loses to Usyk, he's, he's still entertaining. I still want to see these guys. I don't give a damn that, you know, the, maybe they can't compete for the top guy anymore, but they're still that middle of the pack and they can still build the resumes, right? Like, you can still get credible wins and maybe sometimes just a matchup's wrong for you. That could be happening in the Santa Joshua thing where just a matchup's wrong for him, but he could probably be every other guy, right? And that's still a possibility. Chisora, I don't, like I said, I don't think he's being any top heavyweights, but. He's just entertaining. If you get him those middle of the pack guys, it's going to have a lot of entertaining fights like this. And if a guy smokes Chisora, then that's good. That's what you're supposed to do. And you raise his, uh, raise his uh, name up. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ezra Podcast. Please uh, follow me on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you can basically listen to podcasts. I'm on there, Ezra Podcast. And on YouTube, Ezra Podcast. Uh, follow, subscribe, comment, uh, leave a like. We're building something here slowly but surely. Thank you guys for listening.